Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, as head of the UCOS oil company, Mikhail Kordovsky was once the richest man in Russia, but that didn't protect him. Despite an initially good relationship with Vladimir Putin, he soon began to have severe doubts about Putin's vision for Russia, doubts that he expressed publicly. The result was about a decade in a Siberian labour camp. He now lives in London, but there's still a price on his head. Along with the journalist Martin Sixsmith, he's the author of The Russia Conundrum, How the West Fell for Putin's Power Gambit and How to Fix It. Martin Sixsmith joins us now. Afternoon, Martin. Good afternoon. Uh, now, I suppose we hear about these kind of cases all the time, but w- w- what were the charges against Mikhail? What sent him to prison? Well, the charges were that he had uh, not paid his tax, that he'd um, used fraudulent schemes to minimise the profits of his oil company. Uh, but the real uh, reason for them, they, they were politically motivated because um, Putin had fallen out with him uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky had stood up and criticised Putin publicly and Putin wanted um, some comeback against him. So he put him on trial and sentenced him to uh, 10 years in in a labour camp. Mm, and like, But what in the way of evidence can they produce in those kind of trials? Uh, and, and is it to some degree contingent upon uh, the fact that, that there's, uh, Mikhail kind of uh, probably made a lot of his money during a period where pretty much everything was uh, deregulated and there wasn't much in the way of rules anyway? Yeah, that that's right. Um, but uh, UCOS, as far as I can see, and I've done a lot of research, played by the rules of the time. Uh, he didn't break any laws. And the charges that were brought against him were um, retrospective and selective. In other words, uh, they applied criteria to the company's dealings, which weren't enshrined in law at the time those dealings were taking place. And the uh, the charges were brought against UCOS and not brought against all the other companies that used exactly the same uh, mm. methods to uh, to finance the company. When he was released, he was pardoned, as I understand it, and, and the band Pussy Riot were pardoned around the same time. Um, it, it, is that is the Putin who decided to do that then... Is that quite a different Putin to the one we have now in the sense that there was at least some sensitivity towards what the outside world might think? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, Back then, Putin um, knew that the Sochi Olympics were coming up in 2014. Um, He still at that time cared about Russia's image in the eyes of the world. Uh, So he didn't want the Sochi Olympics to be sort of um, overshadowed by having these very high profile political prisoners in jail. So at the end of 2013, uh, before the Olympics were about to take place, he released Mikhail Khodorkovsky. released the the women from Pussy Riot. Um, And I think that's a very good point that you make, that nowadays he just doesn't care what the world thinks about him. So, you know, he certainly wouldn't do anything like that to assuage public opinion in the West. Why doesn't he care anymore? I think he's gone past the, um, the point where he wants to mend fences with the West. He just doesn't care about relations with the West. Um, And he's kind of sort of ratcheted up the... Uh, the confrontation with the West step by step by step. And it's now gone to uh, an incredibly high level of confrontation. So as we've seen in the past few days, he's talking about switching off all the oil and gas so he can freeze the West. He's invaded yet another um, independent country. Um, so he's 
he's moved from being an autocrat who cared a little bit about what the world thought about him because he wanted good relations with the rest of the world to being a dictator who doesn't care what the rest of the world thinks about him. Mm. Now, the, the, the book is called The Russia Conundrum, but how the West fell for Putin's power gambit, how did the West fall for that? Well, I think we've endlessly um, tried to appease Putin. He's been in power for 20 years. Um, He did start out as a bit of a liberal. So for the first three or four years in power from 2000, I would say to around about 2005, 2006, he was um, echoing the Western friendly uh, rhetoric of his predecessors. Mm. Uh, now, just so, sorry to interrupt, yeah, Martin, but 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 Mikhail's, uh, from what I've read there, his impression what now is that that was just Putin, that was just a skill Putin had. He would tell you what you wanted to hear and perhaps never believe that. Yeah, precisely. That's what I was about to say. Oh, sorry. The first few years, he was spouting the rhetoric of liberal democracy and friendship with the West. But uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who knew him in those years, because he'd been a, an official, he'd been a deputy minister in the Yeltsin um, uh, administration, carried on being an insider of the Kremlin because Mikhail believed what Putin was saying. Uh, but now, in retrospect, looking back, and, you know, hindsight is a marvellous thing, uh, he says, I should have known at the time that uh, he didn't believe a word of what he was saying. He was just a very good actor. Uh, he was great at being all things to all men, that he, you know, figured out what people wanted to hear from him, and he just said what he thought people wanted to hear, whereas all the time he had this sort of long-term vision uh, of Russia returning to autocracy and antagonism and confrontation with the West. Mm. Given that, though, we've, I suppose, in the West uh, has let that slide now, is there any is there any option apart from confrontation and increasing levels of confrontation? I think we're kind of at that point that, um, you know, we've heard Western politicians like Emmanuel Macron and um, Olaf Scholz saying that maybe we should sit down and negotiate. Maybe we should give Putin a sort of escape route so he can save face and, you know, leave us all in peace. I don't think that's going to work anymore because if you appease an aggressor, if you pay a blackmailer, you end up with more and more aggression and more and more blackmail. So I think it's reached the point where the West can't remove Putin from power. Only the Russian people can do that. And the Russian people are only going to move against Putin if they see that he has been, he's become a weak ruler. At the moment, they support him because he's created this image of the tough guy, the strong man, uh, the man who's, you know, saving Russia by invading Ukraine. But what the Russian people won't tolerate is a weak leader who's been belittled and defeated on the international stage. So I think that's the that's the only way I can... Everything will end with negotiations, but negotiations have to come when Putin is in a position of weakness, not in a position of power. Though I suppose also the Russian people would have to be told that those things are happening because he controls the, he controls the narrative very much uh, amongst the uh, main swathe of Russian people there. Yeah, he does quite right. I mean, he's got a monopoly on the sources of information and most people believe what they're told. However... If there was a very obvious and uh, very public defeat or weakening of the Russian army in Ukraine, that's not something he could hide. I mean, even now when the Ukrainians are advancing um, in the south um, and in the north, um, there are sources of information in Russia which are putting out the truth about that. So people do have access to 
sources of information. And people are not as brainwashed as we might think. You know, mm. the Russian people always have to sort of toe the line and say that, yes, you know, we believe what the government's telling us. But as long as I've known Russia, which is a very long time, Russians have always got this sort of innate skepticism about what they're told. They might not be able to express it, but in their hearts, they're thinking it. Yeah. And in such a scenario, uh, is there a person or I suppose more uh, people um, who might still have the ideas about you know, turning Russia back into a liberal democracy? Uh, are those people there ready to step in? Uh, to be completely honest, they're not, uh, because the people who surround, if, if Putin dropped dead tomorrow, the people who would take his place are just as nationalistic, chauvinistic and anti-Western as he is. The only people who might be able to turn Russia onto back onto a path of Western-facing liberal democracy, um, you know, they're in jail uh, because the liberal opposition has been absolutely crushed in Russia. We saw Alexei Navalny go back uh, to Russia at the beginning of last year. He's been locked up. He's in a terrible state. His health is suffering. He's been, you know, removed from the public scene. So it's going to take a lot to turn Russia around. Mm. Thanks, Million, for speaking with us today, Martin. Uh, the name of that book is The Russia Conundrum, How the West Fell for Putin's Power Gambit and How to Fix It. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.